Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to 15 Minutes with Lincoln. I am one of your two hosts, Timothy Robert Dunn, a common man in Chicago. And I am your other host, Abraham Lincoln, 16th President of the United States. This is a political podcast featuring uh, my perspective, that of a millennial, and that of President Abraham Lincoln, one of our great American leaders. But you know what? Today, you might as well call this podcast Sports Bros, because we're talking about the last dance. Uh, Abe, you're a bit of a sporto. You're a basketball fan. Um, I'm a big fan. I mean, this must... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, my man. No, in my time, there weren't a lot of sports that favored themselves for the you know that you were favored if you were tall and and lanky sure and uh this this sport seems like it was practically designed for the tall folks <laughs> yeah height doesn't help you that much in baseball right no it certainly doesn't you have a larger uh, strike range although I, I don't know if baseball i guess baseball was around i mean just barely right right just barely um, yeah, if you're that big also, if you're like a, a center in the NBA, you're not going to be able to sprint to first base very quickly. No. Yeah. Did you know that if you are seven feet tall or taller, there is a 25% chance you have or will play in the NBA? 25%? Yes. Wow. No, I did not know that. Uh, <laughs> that's, Abe, that's really good odds. And we're talking pretty good money too. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Well, listen, we could go down the road of, do you become a broadcaster? Do you become a coach? Is, are your glory days behind you when you leave the NBA? That's a whole other conversation. Um, Abe, had you ever seen a sports documentary before this? We're talking hoop dreams. Uh, we're talking 30 for 30. No, I don't think I have. I think the closest I, I come to this was Coach Carter on the FX movie app. <laughs> okay. Maybe draft day if you've seen that. Haven't seen Draft Day. Gotcha. Um, now, longtime listeners of the show will know you're a bit of a um, a screenwriter yourself, an amateur screenwriter. You're getting your name out there. I'm trying. Yeah, you, you know, it's tough when you're breaking into business. You've got to take a lot of meetings and set up a lot of meetings. and Sure. You know, so uh, hopefully Mary Beth Smith is setting up a meeting between me and um, Michael Bay sure. out in Los Angeles so yeah. that um, he might take a look at some of my work. Because I feel like a lot of what I have, uh, you know, what I strive for kind of goes up um, his uh, alley. Yeah. Would you ever go the Disney route? Would you let Disney produce uh, your screenplay? Oh, uh, yeah, I suppose. Although I don't know how they feel about all the violence. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of Disney films with Gun Kata. Well, my man, uh, what do you think of The Last Dance? Uh, I mean, we're talking about the full series at this point. Um, as a filmmaker, as a basketball fan... Boy, I'm, I almost don't know where to start. Let me start with this. Is is Michael Jordan a good man? Well, I don't think that the documentary tried to answer that. I feel like I, it's it's it provided evidence for people that wanted to make that distinction either way, though. Yeah, sure. I think uh, I, I think it was never important to him. I don't think that it mattered to him at all. I think it just he was driven by being good at his sport and uh being successful and that seems to be uh the end of it and i don't i don't know if it's possible to be a good man if you are that one-dimensional perhaps you need uh other focus you know but um it did touch on a little bit that he seemed to understand eventually that he needed his teammates (laughs) and he, he certainly he certainly tried to make the argument that everything he did was for them but 
I don't know. It was hard watching some of that footage when he would berate his teammates that any of that was really for them. I liked when he fat shamed the general manager a lot. Jerry Krause, yeah. Um, yes. Boy, oh boy. Um, that didn't bug you as someone who's had, let's say, weight fluctuations in the past uh, year? Hey, you know, sometimes bullying is good. I feel like that's a very old school way of looking at it. I think most. Well, I'm from the 19th century. Um, Abe, who? Oh boy, oh boy. I mean, who's the hero of this? I mean, I understand it's a documentary. They're just trying to show it as it is. In my mind, I'll just say this: Steve Kerr, in the last few episodes, kind of came out of nowhere as this like basketball everyman with maybe the most tragic backstory i've ever heard of a professional basketball player and uh i just was rooting for him so hard in those last few episodes to the point where i nearly came to tears when he was traded took a quick google and realized this man is a millionaire i don't have to worry about him yeah he actually hasn't had i don't think that tragic of a backstory i mean i play basketball on the weekends with folks who have a much worse home okay. life situation than he had. No. I understand. Yeah. I'm, I'm speaking specifically that his father was murdered. Yeah, well, some of the people I play with have had I understand. Murdered. I understand that. Eddie. And they weren't like political assassinations in a foreign country on a, you know, someone trying to make a diplomatic difference. Yeah. Um, so just maybe you want to walk that back. <laughs> no. I love Steve Kerr. I think he... Uh, no, you're right. He hasn't had a particularly tragic backstory, but there is something about Steve Kerr's, boy, lack of skill compared to the rest of his teammates that makes you root for him. He he seems like a normal guy playing amongst, like, titans and giants. It's funny how that is the case. Although, if you've looked it up, he's 6'3", correct? That sounds right. That's still very tall. That's still very tall, and he's clearly a very talented shooter. You know, folks who are 6'3 are typically the ones guarding me, you know, and I'm 6'6". Yeah, you can just fucking dunk over those people. Yeah, I'm working on it. Yeah. You gotta get the timing right, like gripping the ball. Yeah. And there's a a fair amount of, like, style to any given dunk, you know? You gotta have style. Yeah. Style's important. Style, I think, is actually probably the most important part of athleisure. Wouldn't you say, Tim? I would agree, Abe. You know, there's a lot of times where I'm getting ready to go to the gym and I just look at the outfit that I have on and I say, well, this isn't going to impress anyone. Yeah. And what you need to do to to perform at your best is to feel your best. That's why you need the new Zagzone Core Protector. It is the Zagzone version of a, a spandex unitard that you can fit underneath any athletic outfit sweatpants shorts it doesn't matter this slides over your torso and allows your arms and legs to stick out from each of the quarters so that you have full range of motion meanwhile the compression of the spandex acts as an insulator of your core keeping your temperature warm making sure that your blood and oxygen is flowing to all your extremities and that you are performing at your best, but also feeling your best. Abe, because Abe, the Abe, Abe, keeps Abe, Abe. Everything tight and right. Is this that that sponsor Zagzone that you know isn't currently in, in being investigated for labor practices? It is. Hashtag Zagzone. Hashtag Zagzone. 
a, a, check it a, out. a friendly sponsor of this podcast, of course. That's right. The hashtag ZagZone is proud to offer the new core protector. It comes in a variety of patterns, Tim. Abe, I feel, I feel like you already you you did this part of the copy before. Well, I know we're I, I know t- we're I know we're new to podcast ads. I, I haven't talked about the patterns it comes in. Okay. Do you want me to set you up? We can just edit this again. Yeah, you just you set me up. Okay. Yeah, but I bet this core protector looks boring. Wrong. This core protector comes in a variety Hold of on, shades. Hold on, can you can you not be so dismissive of it? It just felt like very insulting when you said wrong like that. Oh, okay, yeah, I could be yeah. more supportive. Okay. Well, I bet this core protector looks boring. Well, you know, Timothy, that's good, a good, good point. And I understand where you're coming from. I would say that boring might not be the best way to describe this core protector, considering it comes in a variety of shades and multiple palettes and a variety of patterns. You can get your favorite uh, cereal printed right on there. Like breakfast cereal? That's right. Favorite breakfast cereal. Okay, that sounds... So I could get like Golden Grahams or Cracklin' Oat Brand or Lucky Charms. Absolutely. Lucky Charms is a wonderful uh, pattern that you got printed on there. Yeah. Well, this sounds like it's going to cost a million dollars. It might sound that way, and that's good because it should sound that way because it has a lot of quality and you would think, oh, I need to spend a million dollars to get something this good. But in fact... They're only one fifty, uh, hundred fifty dollars. They're hundred and fifty dollars. They're hundred. The core protector is hundred fifty dollars. Well, that sounds great. For more information, our listeners should go to hashtag zagzone. That's right. For the core protector, spandex unitard that can fit under any clothes, or you could just wear it on your own. You know who could have used a, a, a core protector? Scotty Pippen, when he was having those back pains in the finals. Exactly. The compression of the core protector might have really helped to avoid those spasms. That's right. Abe, any last thoughts on Zagzone before we head back to the last dance? Uh, hashtag Zagzone. Abe, can I run you down? I uh, Listen, you and I are going to talk about, you know, how the great legendary Chicago Bulls of the three-peat era compared to some great men of your time. But can I run you through just a few questions that popped up in my mind while I was watching this this documentary? Of course. What happened with Carl Malone? It feels like he is the missing interview that it blows my mind that they could not get him. I, I read a little bit about it. He was just like, the, you know, again and again uh, refused. John Stockton said he didn't want to be interviewed for a Michael Jordan puff piece. Watching the series, valid concern as far as I'm concerned. But yeah. um, is there something I don't know about Carl Malone or his personality? Have you heard the story about when Carl Malone said that he was hunting little Mexican women? Abe, I haven't heard that story. <laughs> After he played for the Utah Jazz, he was traded to the Los Angeles Lakers, where his teammate was Kobe Bryant, the late Kobe Bryant, whose wife was of Hispanic descent. Oh, boy. He ran into, Hispanic descent's, he's ran into this wife of Hispanic descent, Carl Malone did, uh, Vanessa Bryant. Yeah. And she said, hi, Carl. What are you up to? And Carl said, I'm hunting little Mexican women. <laughs> and then it became a thing. Okay, so maybe maybe it was for the best. It might have been. Yeah. Um, other thing, I just have a like a collection of random notes here. Um, 
Abe, what's Ahmad Rashad's deal? He was uh, he played football for the Minnesota Vikings. Okay, your your team. Yeah, I know. He was a wide receiver, yeah. and he transitioned to broadcasting. And he was married to Felicia Rashad. Okay, but she they got divorced, but she kept his name. Gotcha. So if if he can marry that beautiful woman, I mean, he's clearly got <laughs> confidence enough to hang out with Michael Jordan. It was weird that they were always hanging out and being best friends, and then they would joke about Rashad interviewing him on yeah. the television broadcast. As a journalist, as a sports journalist, um, it felt like there was they weren't even trying to go for any kind of objectivity. Journalism never has. Or at least sports journalism. I don't know. He was, he was I guess he was doing his job. Um, Abe, let's say you're running a pizza place in Utah. Would you have tried to uh, murder uh, Michael Jordan before the uh, final game of the NBA Finals? What could you put on a pizza that would make someone that I sick don't that they wouldn't know. taste? Or, yes, because he ate the whole goddamn thing, from what I understand. Yeah, he was proud of that. I ate the whole thing all by myself. <laughs> Abe, who were your favorite of the Chicago Bulls, uh, I guess, starting lineup? Wait, Timothy. Yeah. We're about 15 minutes into the podcast. Okay. And we've yet to even tackle the crux of what I thought the whole last dance coverage should be. Okay. Where I begin to not only pick the five, the how I felt about the, the Bulls lineup, I matched them up with folks in my own cabinet. I was actually trying to set you up for that in like a subtle segue, but... Oh, I, I didn't... I missed... Don't that. worry about it. It was probably too. I probably did it too underhanded. No. So here's how. Here's I've I've thought this through. Okay. And I haven't found perfect matches for all of the folks in my cabinet. As in but I may- comparisons between NBA uh, Chicago Bulls starters and members of of Abraham Lincoln's cabinet. Your cabinet. Yes. Yeah. And this 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 is spanning both my first uh, term and then what was a partial second term. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Chicago Bulls. Is this the very, very old guy? Yes, the old guy. Okay, gotcha. With the strong accent. Yeah. He, of course, in my equivalency, would be the American people. They were ultimately who were calling the shots, and they had sovereignty, and I was merely just um, enacting their will and seeking the public good. Okay, I think the power dynamic is maybe a little bit off there, but... Okay, okay, well, I think you'll like these as I get going. Okay, okay. yeah, hit me. Okay, so then Jerry Krause, who uh, we mentioned was brutally mocked throughout the documentary and unfortunately passed away before he had a chance to take part in it. Not represented terribly well in the show. Although I will say that watching this actually made me appreciate the fact that he was the best general manager that I'd ever heard of because most folks didn't even have Scottie Pippen on their radar, and he traded up to get him. He traded uh, Charles Oakley, even though that was Michael Jordan's favorite teammate, to get the center that they needed to guard the New York Knicks, Bill Cartwright. He then gets Horace Grant, and he lets him go so he can have room to sign Ron Harper and Steve Kerr, two folks who were, who were integral to the second run because they were smaller. They could guard smaller lineups. And he gets Dennis Rodman when nobody else wants him. Kukoc. And he drafts... To, yeah, there is Tony Kukoc before anyone was drafting international players. I actually think the documentary went out of... Despite going out of his way to show some pretty awkward clips of uh, Jerry Krause, uh, made a point that Jerry Krause was actually a, a pretty brilliant person who 
deserves a lot of credit for designing this winning team. So in this in this um, example, I think uh, Jerry Krause in my cabinet would be me. I was the Jerry Krause of the cabinet. You're the Jerry Krause? You're not I giving yourself people. Jordan? Oh. People describe you, I've never maybe, I've maybe never heard this, but I think people would describe you as the Michael Jordan of presidents. Okay, well, I'm Michael, I'm also Michael Jordan because you I was also going to be say, Jerry Krause and Michael Jordan at the same time. Well, I was time. also going to be Phil Jackson because I'm tall <laughs> and uh, I whistle and I also am known to break into weird Native American anecdotes. <laughs> yes. I was going to say you have a relationship with the Native American people. Yeah, so I'm Jerry Krause, Phil Jackson, and Michael Jordan. <laughs> but that's it. I'm just those three. Okay, gotcha. Okay, my first vice president, Hannibal Hamlin. I've talked about him in the past when we talked about picking vice presidents uh-huh. um, from Maine. I will say he was Charles Oakley. Boy, what position did Charles Oakley play? Charles Oakley was like a power forward, but he wasn't ever on the Bulls when they won championships. He is who they had to trade to get Bill Cartwright oh, right. to win the championships. And Hannibal Hamlin was important from election, you know, uh, he was important to my my cabinet, but I ultimately had to get rid of him before my re-election campaign so I could put in uh, a Southern Democrat as a unity ticket, and it would help me make it to the next round. Sure. So he was kind of like a sacrificial uh, lamb, but we maintained a good relationship, as Jordan did with Charles Oakley. So he got you in the door? Yeah, he got me in the door. The, he, the, he helped me really sure. get that second... Uh, Second term. <laughs> um, boy, oh boy. I, I mean, wh- you're just like, you're dancing around it, I feel like. Who's Scotty Pippen, Abe? Um, well, this is, I actually went through this a lot, and I was going back and forth between this, between a couple people. Okay, okay. But it has to be William Seward. I had the same thought, actually. Oh, what was your thinking about of why? Um, he is um, important and influential to your cabinet, but he doesn't... I think an argument could be made that he tried to get the spotlight, but there is a reputation of him just kind of doing the job, and that's there with Scottie Pippen also, notwithstanding the sort of occasional theatrics that Scottie Pippen would engage in. Oh, you mean like his funny sports commercials where he... He'd be with the Subway sandwiches. I, I feel like I've seen links to these. I haven't watched them yet, though. Yeah, they're pretty wonky. <laughs> so, like Scottie Pippen, William Seward could have ran his own team. He, he very well could have been president. In fact, most people assumed he was going to get the Republican nomination in 1860. He was governor of New York, had a lot of close ties to Tammany Hall, which ultimately didn't help him win the Republican nomination nationally in 1860 but he was very capable of running a team just like scotty pippen's team won 55 games in 1994 they almost went to the finals yeah uh he, he ended up being my closest friend even though he was the most like me and we were very we ended up being very similar and he also had the important task of like scotty pippen took a lot of attention off michael jordan because you had to be worried about what scotty pippen was doing as well Right? You couldn't just key in on Jordan. Yeah. Scottie Pippen was... And then he even became a decoy in that very final game against Utah when he couldn't walk because he wasn't wearing the Zag Zone court protector. Uh, Seward, William Seward did an important thing of... Um, the same thing for my administration, drawing attention away and also making sure that no foreign parties were going to get involved in the Civil War, making sure everything was um, on the up and up. And, of course, purchasing Alaska uh, was a was a probably... His, his greatest 
uh, part of his legacy. So yeah, I think um, that makes total sense. Um, so so excellent in his own right. <laughs> okay, friend of the podcast, Salmon P. Chase. Yes. Yeah, he's been on a couple times to help us with some budget issues. Um, I'm gonna say he was the Ron Harper. Okay, um, I'm blanking on the name right now. Of Ron Harper? Yeah. He was kind of the third guard on the Bulls. He was good. Um, First three-peat or second three-peat? Second three-peat. Okay. He's who they, when they got rid of Horace Grant, they used the money to sign Ron Harper. Gotcha. Ron Harper used to be kind of the best player on those Cleveland Cavaliers teams that mm. they would always lose to the Bulls. And he kind of got hurt, and then he, he um, joined the Bulls. So, like that, Salmon P. Chase had his own team before. He was also considered a, a viable candidate for the 1860 presidency, and he also was always kind of um, considered to be the future of the Republican Party. Could have been a big rival of mine, mm-hmm. um, and people kind of forget how good he was independently before he teamed up with me. And ultimately, when he um, um, kind of he, he was tired of rumors that he might run against me in 1864, and so he 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 nominally said, I'll, I'll, re- I'll just resign then. And I said, okay, sure, yes, you will. And he was like, oh, wait, I wasn't really that serious. And I was like, too bad. So I played him um, kind of like how MJ would probably play his teammates. And then Salmon P. Chase, of course, became a chief justice uh, on his own, had a great legacy. Um, kind of like how Ron Harper won multiple titles after the Bulls uh, with the Lakers. So um, a winner. Yeah. Um, now all I can think of is who is the bad boy? You know, who was the guy dating Carmen Electra, you know, wrestling with Hollywood Hulk Hogan? Who was the Dennis Rodman of your cabinet? I think after some consideration, I mean, obviously no one was as interesting as Dennis Rodman. Yeah, right. Um, but I, I went with uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Wow. Okay. Uh, didn't start out being your general, but you kept kind of rotating through people until you found him. Right, so this has got to be kind of a two-part answer. Yeah. So this is where uh, John C. Fremont used to be in... Um, he, he, he'd been running for president a couple of times. Um, he was, you know, an early stalwart of the Republican Party. I initially made him uh, in charge of the Western armies in the Civil War. Um, but he wasn't that... He, he, he was... It's not that he wasn't good. He just was super, super duplicitous. Which is why I've made him the Horace Grant of my <laughs> cabinet, who MJ never forgave. Because so wait, he, no, hold on. Horace Grant said on camera, like with his honor, that he was not the person that like provided the dirt for the Michael Jordan book. But Jordan doesn't <clears throat> believe him. He knows it was Horace. And he blames Horace entirely, even though people have said it had to be multiple people who gave that information. Right. He puts it all on, on Horace, just like I put it all on John C. Fremont, that all the... All the Republicans scheming against me in 1864 all went to John C. Fremont. So when I said that Pope, John Pope was going to be in charge of the Western armies and Fremont would have to like be, serve underneath him, Fremont was like, well, I'm superior to Pope. Um, I'm just going to go hang out in New York and wait for a f- further assignment. It never came. Fremont had to resign like a fool. <laughs> then he actually did try to run against me in 1864, but he withdrew after I... Uh, issued the Emancipation Proclamation because he didn't have a platform. His platform was that I was not radical enough for the Republicans. Mm. And I re- and then so he then became replaced by someone who was much more effective a- at his job, um, but had a lot more flair and uh, <laughs> some questionable activities. 
outside of uh, the court, and so that would be um, Ulysses S. Grant. The known to be a partier. Sure, the types of those activities are wildly different between the two men. I just gotta say. Yeah, well, Ulysses S. Grant was a great horseman. Really loved to ride the horses and tame horses. Uh huh. A functioning alcoholic. I think you could say the same for Dennis Rodman. <laughs> they both liked vacations, you know. They did. They both liked vacations. I th- I'm almost done. I just had two others, I think. Yeah, hit, hit me with your Steve Kerr. Have we uh, figured that out yet? Yeah, it's John Dennison. Why? Why? Uh, how so? What's going on there? They're both little white guys. <laughs> and they were effective. Hmm. Kind of the heart of the team on the Bulls, maybe the heart of the team in your cabinet. Yeah. Although I don't I know if you can say he was the heart of the team on the Bulls. It felt like Scottie Pippen also played that role a bit too. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, William Dennison would be my Steve Kerr. Hmm. I said John Dennison. Okay. I'm at William. All right. He's fine. Uh how about your last comparison, Abe? Edwin Stanton, my first Secretary of War, I think was my Scotty Burrell. <laughs> I gave him a hard time. Okay. I eventually got rid of him. Oh, this was the young rookie, right? Right. Yes. But he had one moment where he came through, yeah. just like Scotty Burrell came through against the Nets with a 20-point performance. Scotty Burrell made sure to move the troops home from Illinois so they could vote for me in 1864 and I could win the election. And that was Edward, Edward Stanton coming through for me. He took the abuse, and there it was. I feel like that's a bit sleazier of an action than Scotty Burrell had in the documentary. Well, I don't know. Michael Jordan at one point says Scotty Burrell's the one who's always out every night partying. <laughs> so you don't know. Um, boy, oh boy. Abe, do you feel like the Chicago Bulls of either three-peat era functioned better than your cabinet, though? Um, it's interesting. Though the Bulls had multiple opponents, yeah. ultimately, they found that they had competing priorities within the team. 100%. And it was almost as if they were a team, but a team of rivals. <laughs> and I guess you could say that my cabinet, cabinet was as well. Okay, I think we're done. Abe, any last thoughts on The Last Dance? I recommend it to anybody, whether they're into sports or not. Um, it's coming to Netflix. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially if you're from Chicago, it's it's a part of Chicago history. Well, I think that's it. Uh, thanks, of course, to our sponsor, Zagzone. Um, folks, if you have any questions for myself or Abraham Lincoln about the Chicago Bulls or court protectors, email us at 15 minutes with Lincoln at gmail.com. That's numerical one, five minutes with Lincoln at gmail.com. And as always rate review and subscribe the podcast. Abe, any last thoughts? Hashtag Zagzone. Hashtag Zagzone. Folks, we'll see you next time on 15 minutes with Lincoln. <laughs>